Blaze Radio presents He He Check. <laughs> Towards Peyton Gallagher here. We are reclassifying the 2012 recruiting class, kind of a, uh, a clunker one, kind of you, Peyton, you pointed out to me, might be one of the worst recruiting classes of all time. So yeah. we're going to delay the inevitable of ranking that class. And we're going to start first. You have the shirt on the Valley, the NBA finals get started tonight. We're going to go over that. And then also kind of some big news coming in as the uh, early entry uh, I guess what's it called deadline for the NBA draft um, is over tomorrow. So guys have to withdraw from the draft in order to come back to college Wednesday, July 7th. That is the deadline. So we're starting to see names trickle in and trickle back to college. Hunter Dickinson, Ochai Abaji, um, notably our boy Quattro McBride staying at West Virginia. We'll talk about that a little bit, but first let's, let's talk about the NBA finals as the, Boots on the ground correspondent in Phoenix. What what is the morale of the city like? What is the energy of the city like? How poppin' is Marley's? Um, bring me into the picture as someone who's sitting back in 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 the heartland of America. Okay, so to clarify for the normies, Marley's is a popular sports bar owned by former son Dan Marley in downtown Phoenix, and I was there for game. Oh, I want to say two or three um, of the Denver series. And I would say there's probably like 300 people in the entire establishment. Like it was insane. Um, It's a big place, but it was a ton of people. You couldn't hear yourself think that was weeks ago. And here we are for the finals, the sun's, I mean, you've heard all the numbers, haven't been there. 28 years since they got beat by Jordan. I mean, for a city that's typically dead, it's like less dead. Like there's there's some activity in the streets. There's some energy. There's some stuff everywhere, which is cool. Um, but yeah, it, it feels like, it doesn't feel like the finals, I would say. Like not to throw shade at Phoenix. Doesn't feel like it's like gearing up for the freaking finals, but maybe it feels a little bit different after game one tonight. Yeah. I think that the, you mentioned it like Phoenix is it, it's one of those cities where the downtown area, I guess the, the population center is so spread out of across the Valley that it, it, you don't really even notice how many people are there when you're yep. downtown. Cause really not a lot of people hang downtown. Right, um, right. I, I mean, do like, feel like though, like Marley's is one of the rare places that, even for like a regular season game, we were there one night just watching them play the Knicks and the building had some juice to it to watch that game. So I can't imagine what it'd be like for the finals. I, I also think the fact that you said 300 plus people pre the Valley Oop, pre uh, yeah. Booker and all that situation with the nose um, that's kind of added to the, the legend and the intrigue. Um, I hope for the sake of the finals that, Giannis Antetokounmpo plays um, so we get the finals that we deserve because I mean a lot of people are going to crap on Milwaukee versus Phoenix but Giannis versus Chris Paul Devin Booker like it's a very intriguing finals and I think that not that like TV ratings should not matter to the average person if you're not an ESPN executive I don't know why you care Um, 
just watch the games because they should be good and they should be intriguing. But people are going to make a whole fuss about that. Yeah, I think it's interesting because did we get a matchup of the best two teams this year? Probably not. No. But it might be two of the best three. Like Brooklyn, now I know you're going to tell me the Lakers. I disagree with you. I think the Suns would have beaten the Lakers in a seven-game series, even with a healthy Anthony Davis. I think they're just a better basketball team. But, I mean, you could argue maybe the Clippers better than the Suns with Kawhi. I don't know. I can almost certainly promise you that Brooklyn was the best team in the NBA this year at health um, levels that are 100%, but we're not getting that. What we are getting, though, is two organizations with, like, a weirdly commingled history when you date back as far as even the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar coin flip that had him get drafted by the Bucks instead of the Suns. Weird stuff like Dragon Bender playing for both teams this year and, like, Corey Craig, cash considerations game. Um, that's all going to be on the line. Matchups-wise, I think it's going to be really fun. I think they're two teams that are almost – not mere images, but direct parallels one another. They match up with each other extremely well on both ends of the floor. The matchups are going to be fascinating. The coaching battle is going to be fascinating. What it means for, I know you hate the legacy thing, but in the immediate term, and I'm not going to try and project like 10, 15 years down the road, in the immediate term, what it will mean in the pantheon of all basketball players for all time, for both Chris Paul and Giannis, that's something we've not gotten in the finals in so long. Like, there's going to be immense desperation on both sides of the court. And I'm interested to see how that, that works. Like, I, I don't know. When was the last time we had stakes like this with guys who have not been there before? Um, I mean, LeBron seemed to it that that's not been the case for a decade, pretty much. The last time that we've had a finals where it was like somebody can win, a like two guys could win a first that would – really change how people look at them was probably 2012 when it was the heat versus the thunder and it was Durant versus LeBron and neither yeah. one had a ring. And so, even still like Wade had been in the finals and had won a finals MVP. LeBron had been there and lost twice. Like this these is, guys this are all, all there for the first aside time. From Jay Crowder. Yeah, yeah aside exactly. From Jay Crowder, aside, from it's all Crowder. aside from Jay Crowder. Yeah. Um, and it, like the interesting aspect of this too, that like, Hey, out of the East, the Raptors won. You're off. And the Bucks are here again, too. And between those two teams, there was like two lottery picks on the entirety of the rosters for both. The Raptors didn't have any. That's fascinating, too, because I think when the Bucks had the worst record in the NBA, the year they drafted Jabari Parker, on 2K, the two lowest rated players on their roster were Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and they're the only two players that are still there. Yeah, and neither one's a lottery pick, and neat, like yep. their their player development has been really impressive in that in that regard. Um, I also think on the Suns end of things, because you can date, trace back to the 2018 draft of Aiton and Luca and Trey Young. Like if they win this title for now, I mean, it obviously he's not as good as Luca, but the Aiton pick can be justified in large part because they bring in Chris Paul and Chris Paul makes DeAndre Ayton realize his potential. Um, so I think all of these things are intriguing. Um, 
Listen, listen, I, I just want to give this nugget on Chris Middleton because I think it's valuable. It may get mentioned in the broadcast. So I just wanted to look this up to make sure I had his trade. Do you remember when Chris Middleton, what team Chris Middleton played for before he played for the Bucs? Yeah, the Pistons. So, yeah, he was on the Pistons, second-round pick in 2012, 39th overall. He was a throwaway, I think, to equalize money in the Brandon Jennings for Brandon Knight trade. He went from uh, Detroit with Brandon Knight and Vyacheslav Kravstov. Kravtsov. Sick. And, like, was just, like, a throwaway. And he ended up being Chris Middleton. And, by the way, plus 625 odds on him to win finals MVP. I like that. I like that a lot. I could see that world. Man, I mean. Gambling, man, what do you think? Yeah. Worth maybe a sprinkle. A little. Maybe a sprinkle. I feel like the there's not a good bet for the Suns, aside from Chris Paul, because – if they win, Chris Paul will win finals. Yeah, like simply like NBA. Booker just going off. Yeah, like Booker's gonna have to average like 30 a game to offset anything Chris Paul does. And even if Chris Paul, even if Booker averages 30 a game, if Chris Paul averages like 18 points and 11 assists with like one or two turnovers per game on his averages, yeah, he's, he's winning. Hey, he's gonna win it because he changed the complexion of this franchise. Yeah, it's like, do we think if DeAndre Aiden shot? like 65%, 70% and was giving them like 20 and 15 a game. No. Chris Paul's still winning. Yeah. Yeah, because it's going to be off of all like lobs. Yeah. Yeah. The rebound is really, really impressive. At at, at one point in time, we definitely will have like from either um, Mark Jackson or Van Gundy will say something like, well, even when Chris Paul misses his mid-range shot, it's got so much touch. It pretty much is a lob on the offensive (laughs) rebound. I guarantee you we get that (laughs) at least once. I just want to know who who ranks number one in all time Bucks and Suns history wearing the jersey number thirteen. I need Mark Jackson <laughs> to, to throw in his rankings. <laughs> that was so weird. Man, I'll that tell you, so Paul George, like, greatest number thirteen in Clipper history. <laughs> it's like Mark. Let alone does nobody know that you played for the Clippers. Certainly, nobody knows that you wore the number thirteen. Man. Um, yeah. Okay. So my prediction, I'd say Suns and six. I think a lot of it depends on the health of Giannis. Well, yeah, I don't think, I think we, if Giannis plays, I think we're going to get some magical moments from him. If Giannis plays Suns and seven of just, yeah. Like, I think he's going to dominate, um, just because like, this is what he's worked his whole life for. And I don't think he's, if you look at the playoffs, he's not been shy of the moment any, like all the people who criticize Giannis for being like a, a player that can't chant, has to get it all through strength and athleticism. Fine, he might not be the most effective closer, but he's not afraid. And I don't think he'll be afraid of this. Uh, the trendy pick, I have not seen a single person pick the box. Really? I've not seen a single person pick the box that I trust. I have Matt Moore uh, at the Action Network. Mm. He thinks he thinks Giannis is playing too. I don't know if he plays game one, but I don't know. I don't even know if they like. Maybe they just punt game one. I'm not going to stand. Bucks and seven. Okay, Bucks and seven. I will say the the thing about Giannis not being scared is it's the biggest distinction between 
him and Ben Simmons. It's like Ben Simmons is scared to shoot the ball. Giannis steps up there. People are chanting at him. They're counting to 10. He still goes up, shoots free throws. He airballs one. Doesn't matter. He comes back the next time, comes back down, shoots a fadeaway, or he'll just run at you and yam on you. So yeah, um, that's the part that's like super respectable. And the fact that he's just gone 30 and 15 a bunch of times his playoffs. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine what Giannis would be if he like could shoot 80% from the line? Yeah. I mean, because he would just, he's like, all right, you're, you're either fouling me or I'm dunking. Yeah. I mean, right now he's like Shaq in the, fa- in the sack, in the fact that he's so dominant interiorly, but like you can, you can foul him and live with it. What before we move on, what's the battleground in this series? And I don't want to infringe on our, our friends at Nerd Sesh. This is their territory. What is the battleground in this series that you're the most interested in watching? Like the area of the game? Oh, um, I don't know. I feel like the the three point I'm a huge three point variance guy. And the Bucs have, like, been really bad from threes. The Bucs have been – they've gotten some absurdly bad three-point shooting luck in terms of their shooting percentages based on what they shot all year long. But what I'm most intrigued by, like, basketball-wise, strategy-wise, is how are the Bucs going to defend Chris Paul in the pick and roll? Because they notoriously have been a drop coverage team. They stopped that uh, against, against Trey Young in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I don't know what they're going to do against Chris Paul, but I'm very intrigued to find out. Um, but and then I will just say, like the last point I have on this series is, it doesn't matter that much. But I just love watching Cam Johnson play basketball. Like he does everything right. He's you. He right. He's you. He's awesome. <laughs> um, I'll say that like I think it's funny that Cam Johnson probably is a better player between him and Kobe White. And that meme is just even funnier now. Yeah, and he's a better player than Justin Jackson. And Justin Jackson. He's just perfect in his role. He's yeah. just perfect in his role. Um, no, the something that I almost feel like they should come out with P.J. Tucker and put him on CP3 or on Booker. That way you're That's like – they do. Well, I mean, you could go with, like, Middleton or Holiday, which I think is the natural, like, guard-for-guard thing to do. But the reason I like that is because if you start with Tucker, A, he's so physical that it's going to make it an absolute battle for both those guys to get to their spots, and they've not seen physicality like that. Like, we saw how physicality kind of threw Booker for a little bit with um, Pat Bev. But when it's Tucker and he's 6'5 and he's twice as strong, I think that could really alter him. The other thing that that's valuable for is because you're pre-switching all the pick and roll action because now when you're running that pick and roll, you're switching a guy like Giannis on to Chris Paul or Booker, or if you're going with a small, small pick and roll, you're, you're switching a guy like Middleton or Drew Holiday. And I think that that's an interesting thing that Bud could do early on to try and he may want to save that card for like closing situations, but I think that's something that Bud could probably do to um, try and stop that pick and roll that all the Suns actions stem from. Um, the other thing that I think my battleground that I'm fascinated by the, the fast break, because I would love to see the series be played up and down. The Bucks are the best fast break team in the NBA. A lot of that has to do with Giannis. 
I'm interested to see what that means for like Aiton and whether or not he's allowed to like really crash the glass because they're going to have to get back. But the Suns are like the best transition defense team in the NBA in large part because McHill Bridges is just a god at that. So that'll be fun to see too, that battle. Yeah, and I'm intrigued to see. It it seems like game one of the finals can always be kind of hectic and frantic and everybody kind of has to get the (laughs) – J.R. Smith. (laughs) Yes. Everybody has to kind of like feel out the rhythm of the game. The fact that no one has played in a finals game aside from Jay Crowder makes me think that like the first quarter and a half tonight are just going to be everyone going like balls to the walls and not realizing what they – like what's going down. Um, maybe Chris Paul will settle it down, but he, I mean, even he hasn't been there before. So I'm saying Suns in six, I, Giannis is going to play. So I'll say Suns in seven, you're saying Bucks in seven. I yeah. just, it's a great series. I don't listen, mind listen. either outcome. Yeah, definitely rooting for the Suns. Wouldn't mind either, but if there's an individual I'm rooting for super hard in this series, it's PJ Tucker. Like I'm the only person in the world with a PJ Tucker poster on their wall. That's Even terrible. if he is in a Rockets jersey. That's true. I, I am confident I may be the only one. I would bet on that. I would bet you're the only PJ Tucker poster <laughs> owner, aside from like Texas fans. His family. Yeah. Yeah. And like Texas fans with like a schedule poster from that year, which yeah. he may not even have been on because like Lamarcus Aldridge was on that team too, right? And TJ Ford and all of them. Yeah. So I don't think he was. Yeah. But all right, let's uh, let's talk about the early entry decisions for the NCAA and who's come back. Ochai Abaji comes back. Let me let me pull up the headlines. Um, Kofi Coburn just announced he is quote pretty much open on college future, which means he could be transferring pretty much anyway. Hunter Dickinson is coming back to Michigan. Um, Isaiah Wong is returning to Miami. Ochai Abaji, I already mentioned, is going back to KU. Um, Aaron Wiggins is going back, or no, is remaining in the NBA draft, excuse me. Um, That hurts Maryland badly. Bad. They were also expecting him back. And uh, Daryl Morsell transferred. So Maryland loses both of them. They really fall behind Michigan and Purdue. The other thing is if he has not officially transferred yet, if he's not like literally signed the paperwork because they were expecting Wiggins back. And that was a large reason why he was transferring. He could also like reverse course and just stay because he would get a bigger role that he's not enjoyed in Maryland in this time there yet. Maybe uh, along with Hunter Dickinson, Michigan also added Devonte Jones, who was the conference player of the year at coastal Carolina for the Sun Belt, mm-hmm. And officially staying. He is, yeah, he's coming back to me. He's coming back. He's going to Michigan as yeah. a transfer. And Eli Brooks is staying too. And Eli Brooks is staying. And then St. John's is getting Julian Champagny back. We still don't have answers on Marcus Bagley. Uh, we assume, everyone assumes Remy Martin's going to KU. I don't, I've yeah. yet to see anyone think that he's staying, but he has not actually announced it yet. Um, so with that being said, what sticks out to you? Um, who are the biggest winners from this and, and what do you think is the most impactful person staying in college? Well, the, the guy that probably has changed the bearing the most, it's a pair of dudes is what Michigan is bringing back a team that I didn't see the hype on really good recruiting class coming in. I think they're still tops in the country, but I was like, without, uh, Eli Brooks, without, um, 
some of the guys that they had last year that made them so good, including Hunter Dickinson, I wasn't ready to put them top 10, top five. Here's the number from Jared Burson of ESPN, the researcher that we all love, uh, on Hunter Dickinson, who's, like you said, decided he's going to come back and why this is kind of unprecedented for Michigan guys. So Michigan players to average as many points per game, 14.1 on a high, uh, on a field goal percentage as high as 60% as Hunter Dickinson over the last 50 years in Michigan. It's just Chris Weber. And that guy's coming back. He will be the preseason big 10 player of the year. Um, he might be in some people's eyes, the preseason national player of the year. I wouldn't be surprised about that. If Luca Garza can win it, why can't Hunter Dickinson? He's going to put up like 20 and 10, 20 and 12. Are you going to crap on him? No. I, Hunter Dickinson has more edge and athleticism than Garza. So I, I hated no. him at first, but I, the more I watched him, the more I enjoyed him play. Luca has slimmed down, and I am very intrigued to see what he looks like at the doesn't NBA it, level. Doesn't that make him worse? Like, isn't every – like, isn't the pair of Luca Garza? Mike Dom. Yeah, Mike Dom was getting buckets in the TBT last year. Like, um, isn't the paradox of Luca Garza that the thing that makes him so good is the reason he can't be good in the NBA, and that is – He's just kind of a butterball. Well, it it's the thing is like he's a good shooter, so him slimming down in theory makes him a better defender, but it also makes him not if worse. he still can't move his feet and now he can't just like lean on people. Well, part of him being slow footed is being larger and losing weight. You'd be a little a little fleeter of foot, but at the same time, you're getting worse at interior scoring because you're not going to be able to bang bodies down low with NBA bigs at the same level. So I don't know. I don't know what Luca looks like at the next level, but uh, side against that, we're talking about Michigan. They had Caleb Houston. They have Musa Diabate or Diabate. I don't know how to do it. a monster. Yeah. Frankie Collins and Kobe Bufkin. Those four guys are all in the top 40 of the ESPN recruiting rankings for this year that I, you said number one class in the country. The biggest reason I was kind of out on Michigan before they got Devontae Jones back and Hunter Dickinson and Eli Brooks is because I was like, you're going to, you're going to be asking a lot in terms of avoiding just having all freshmen um, dominating the scoring and the production. You're going to be asking a lot of Brandon Johns. And I didn't believe in that of him being like a number two option on championship team, but if Brandon Johns is your fifth option on a championship team, I got yeah. down for that. So Michigan definitely be like with what Maryland lost and what Michigan added, I think you kind of, the expectations shift for them. Um, Ohio state doesn't get Dwayne Washington back, but they get each yeah. I think that lowers Ohio state. So I think that the, the big 10 to me is Purdue, Michigan. And then it's a, a grouping of Ohio state, Maryland, Indiana in there next. Yeah. Next. I level. think, Without Wiggins, you got to move Maryland out of the the top tier. I had them right there with Michigan. Um, now can't do that. I'm interested to see how Musa Diabate fits because he's also six ten and like a true big. So they could just like absolutely overwhelm people in the front court. That's possible. I gotta say though, like Jawan Howard might be the best GM in college basketball. Like, the guy just knows how to construct rosters in a way where guys complement each other and they fit well. Guys know the role. He gets the right kind of transfers. I mean, 
you can look at a guy like Chris Beard and see what they're doing and getting all the top transfer guys and being like, wow, that's a lot of talent. But I don't know how it fits. With Michigan, I'm pretty confident in the fit. Yeah, because with Texas, DeSue and Christian Bishop override each other, basically. They do um, different things, but they you can't play both of them. You can't play them together. Yeah. You, you can play Trey Mitchell with either one of them, but you can't play DeSue and Bishop at the same time. And then they get Ramey back. They get Andrew Jones back. They get uh, Jace Febris back. Brock Cunningham comes back. But Devin Askew and Courtney Ramey, neither one of them is a traditional point guard. And that showed with Askew at Kentucky with, like, he was not great at setting everybody else up. I love Timmy Allen, and I really like Courtney Ramey. I just wonder who is going to be out there not looking to get their own on Texas's roster. I mean, man, doesn't it start to kind of look like this past year's team where it was like, well, you got all these guys in the front court, you can't play all of them with Greg Brown, Sims, Kai Murphy, all these guards who just want to kind of like, you know, take the game over. And given Chris Beard's a much better coach, X's and O's and Shaka, so you expect that he would no be doubt. able to the roster better. But it's like, kind of just looks like the same old Texas team where it's like, there's a lot of talent here. I'm not sure how it works together. You replaced – you replaced Kai Jones, Jericho Sims, and Greg Brown with DeSue, Christian Bishop, and Trey Mitchell. Yep. And you replaced Matt uh, Coleman with Devin Askew. And then you with added the Timmy Allen. And Timmy Allen is, I guess, the, the, the difference. A better, a better Andrew Jones. Well, except for Andrew Jones is there still, too. Yeah. So they're pretty good. I still think with what Kansas has in Abaji, Martin – Jalen Wilson, McCormick, and then the fact that they also have Yesifu and um, and if they get Remy Martin, they will be the number one team in the country in my poll. Really? Yeah. Over Gonzaga? Over Gonzaga. I don't I'm gonna need to see it with Gonzaga. Like Chet Chet Holmgren has like Anthony Davis potential defensively especially in that league. Like, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Chet Holmgren averages, like, four blocks a game this year. But I don't know how it's going to fit with Timmy. I don't know what it's going to look like at, at their point guard, considering it's going to be a completely different type of player this year. Nemhard's going to have to take a much bigger role. Yeah, I, I feel more confident in what Kansas is bringing in and uh, bringing back. So I was thinking about it based on because bill self has never been a huge play more than eight guys in a rotation guy yeah and they've got a perfect eight man rotation well they honestly have a pretty solid 10 if they really really want to Mm. uh martin abaji brown wilson mccormick and then off the bench you can play dewan harris joe yesifu uh, Jalen Coleman lands, Zach Clements and Cam Martin. And those five guys is probably an eight or nine seed at the NCAA tournament level. Like that's a average team. I just, I don't know where he's going to cut down on minutes because the 08 team, you had nine guys who played more than 10 minutes. And I think that might be the last time that that's ever happened for bill. So I don't know who gets the short end of the straw or who ends up redshirting but they're going to be deep. And if they really want to, you could kind of just press some people. You could really, really like 
run people up and down the gym. Yeah, they can go big, they can go small, they can go long, they can adjust for shooting. Again, it's a very balanced roster that allows them a lot of flexibility. They've got the top-end star power that you want. They've got the coaching you want. They just make sense. And, like, I almost think they should be glad that they didn't get Ty Ty Washington because it would have been a hassle trying to figure out how he fits and when he fits and when he can get a shot. Uh, as a super talented freshman. Now you've got a, a bunch of veteran dudes in a hierarchy that makes sense. And I think Kansas is in a position to come into the year as my national title favorite. Assuming Remy Martin goes to school and assuming yeah. he assimilates into a Bill Self scheme. So it's also setting up for an interesting year in the Big 12 where the the whole player movement, and we talked about this last week with the NIL stuff and Maybe that, maybe between that and between the fact that the NCAA claims everybody's getting a one free transfer and you can't transfer over and over and over again and just keep playing the first year that you leave, the preseason All Big 12 team is probably going to be, is going to have the first team, it's probably going to have three guys who transferred. It'll probably be Remy Martin, James Akinjo at Baylor, Trey Mitchell at Texas. I think. And then Agbaji, maybe David McCormick, and otherwise... I think it's going to be three Kansas guys. Yeah, I mean, I would have I would have all three of the Kansas guys and then Akinjo and, then, and uh, mm. Trey Mitchell or maybe like if Marcus Carr goes to Texas. Well, what about McBride? He's staying in the draft. Oh, you said earlier that... I'm, that's what I thought. You said earlier that he was staying at West Virginia. I thought I said, unfortunately, he left. No. So, okay. So, to clarify, he is gone. So, okay. Yeah, he's gone, which yeah. really makes West Virginia a lot less threatening. Yeah, absolutely. No, the Big 12 is kind of weak. It's going to be a three-horse race. It's going to be KU, Texas, and Baylor. And I don't even know about Baylor. Baylor, you're going to need a massive year from Akinjo and a massive year from uh, Matthew Meyer. Flagler season, baby. You're a big Flagler fan. Big um, does anything stand out? I, we're still waiting on Johnny Juzang. We're still waiting on. Um, yeah, that's the biggest one. Chris Smith. Yeah, those I, two are the biggest. Those that determines two. if UCLA is a top 10 team or not. Because, like, if those two guys come back, I probably come back with, like, and maybe this is foolish because, hey, yo, UCLA, you know, that team that we're all high on if Johnny Juzang comes back, uh, they had Johnny Juzang all year and they, they kind of sucked and we're in the playing game. Yeah, those guys. Yeah, but yeah. they do get. Um, Good recruiting class coming in. Um, Peyton Watson to add. And they also would theoretically get Chris Smith back, who was first team All American preseason and a guy that was splitting votes with Remy for preseason, Pac 12 player of the year, plus Juzang. That would probably be the team that I actually rank second in a preseason poll. I think my preseason top five right now would be if the guys that were on the fence do come back, I probably go Kansas, UCLA, Michigan, Oregon, Zaga, I'm not sure, and Alabama. Whoa, you're way higher on Alabama than everybody else is. I think Quinterly, Shackelford, and Davidson is like, I think Davidson's going to be the freshman of the year in the SEC and might be like a dark horse for SEC player of the year. I think he's that good. That's fair. I just think it's really tough 
really tough for me to invent. Like, I love Nate Oates as much as the next guy. It's hard for me to envision him being able to like go top two seed in the country in the NCAA tournament in consecutive years after you lose John Petty, Herb Jones, and Josh Primo. You lose a, a you lose a first round pick. You lose uh, Herb Jones, who was SEC Player of the Year, and you lose John Petty, who's just a bucket. And Quinterly's going to have to be asked to do a lot more. J.D. Davison's going to be asked to do a lot as a freshman, and then they need Namari Burnett to do a lot much a lot more. I would say my top five mm-hmm. as of now. Gonzaga is a pretty safe bet. I would say Kansas one, Gonzaga two, um, Michigan three, and then Kentucky and Texas is my four and five. Okay. Okay. That's where I'm at. UCLA, even if they get their guys back, we got to remember they were not very good in the regular season last year. Yeah, but they they also are adding like a guy that was supposed to be their best player last year. A ton of confidence off this run. Yeah. And a five-star. Yeah, but they never got that Amari Bailey thing that you you were trying yeah, to Yeah, I was rooting for the reclass. It, it's not going to happen. You were rooting for the reclass. Uh, it didn't happen, but we're going to reclassify the 2012 class right now. So let's get going on the 2012 reclassified. Mm-hmm. Not a great class. Number one player originally was Nerlens Noel. Maybe the worst class. He tore his ACL at Kentucky, and yeah. this is the – was this the Robert Morris year? It was, right? This is the Robert Morris year. So, yeah, they were trending up. They had a really bad start to the year. Nerlens Noel, national TV game against Florida. They go off, but he gets hurt, and then it's a downward spiral from there. So they had fallen out of the rankings, gotten themselves re-ranked about middle of the season, and then he got hurt, and they collapsed. I'm looking. I'm trying to find their game log of schedule and results. Yeah, they went. They um. It really wasn't as bad as you would have thought because they he got Nerlens got hurt at Florida, right? I believe so. Correct. And by the way, despite that happening, Nerlens still was SEC Defensive Player of the Year in all defense. SEC. Well, and all sec that's how bad the i mean the sec wasn't very good that year. yeah it was a, it was down here because that injury happened february 12th of 2013 so like halfway through that year um kentucky from that point on went four and three in conference in regular season play then they lost to vandy in the first game of the sec tournament lost in the nit first round game at robert morris i just remember them refusing to play nit games at Rupp Arena, so they went to Robert Morris, and then mm-hmm. they lost, and Calipari did a sad, sad press conference in, like, what looked like a middle school gym teacher's locker room. Um, so there's that. Nerlens Noel was the number one player. Shabazz Muhammad, with his fraudulent age, was at two <laughs> to UCLA. Then you got slow-mo Kyle Anderson at three. Isaiah Austin to Baylor at four, Stephen Adams and Anthony Bennett, five and six to Pittsburgh and UNLV. Alex Poitras to Kentucky at seven. Forgot that he played four years there. Kind of a, a very odd Kentucky career. Caleb Tarzuski and Grant Jarrett at eight and nine, both went to Arizona. Marcus Smart at 10 to Oklahoma State. Shout out Peyton, all-time Big 12 team, Marcus Smart. 
I feel bad for the guy that took Marcus Smart. Yikes. Ricky Lito to Providence at 11. Sam Decker to Wisconsin at 12. Rodney Purvis to NC State at 13. Rashid Suleiman, who started at Duke, ended at Maryland at 14. The ultimate Coach K love-hate relationship right there. Yeah, for real. And Archie Goodwin at 15 to Kentucky. So there's where we're at with the original 2012 rankings via the 24-7 sports composite rankings. The college basketball All-Americans from this class. Freshman year 2013, Marcus Smart was the only freshman All-American. He was a 2013 second-team All-American. In 2014, you had Nick Stauskas and TJ Warren both making the second team. In 2015, Willie Cauley-Stein was a first-team All-American. And then in 2016, wow. in 2016, you had a slew of names. Buddy Heald, Denzel Valentine, and Bryce Johnson all made first team. Perry Ellis, George Niang, and Chris Dunn all made second team. National champions from this class. You got anything to add? I was going to say we're doing the hyperbole thing again where I just say this might be the X thing ever. But, like, is Willie Cauley-Stein the worst All-American of all time? Worst first-team All-American? Yeah, because he averaged nine and six and made the first-team All-American team as a consensus guy. To be fair, he was playing on the platoon squad 2015 Kentucky team. I feel like they just were like, we got to get as many Kentucky guys on as possible because they're undefeated. But they only had two. I know. That's my point. And no one had overwhelming numbers. Like, Town yeah, average, exactly. So they just picked the elder statesman guy. Cauley Stein averaged nine and six. Towns averaged 10 and six. So and Towns was I'm just saying a guy who didn't average double digits in any statistical category, making the first team all American team seems unbelievable. Yeah. In hindsight, it does. I don't remember what it felt like in the moment either. So um, I just remember that Kentucky was the number one defensive team and he was the SEC defensive player of the year. So it kind of makes sense. Um, number one defensive team by Ken Palm rating national champions from this class. All right. 2013, the Louisville title Montrez Harrell was a freshman 2014. UConn had Philip Nolan. Last thing, last thing, last thing. Willie Cauley Stan was a fourth leading score on that team. Carry on. Who were the first three? Was it okay. The Harrison, Harrison twins, fifth leading score, the Harrison twins, Devin Booker and Carl Anthony Towns. What did Booker average? Booker averaged 10 and two. Okay. 2014, UConn had Philip Nolan, Omar Calhoun, Leon Tolksdorf. 2015, Duke had Emil Jefferson and Rashid Suleiman. Suleiman played the least minutes and scored the least amount of points per game in his Duke career as a junior. Then he transferred to Maryland, so he kind of saw the writing on the wall. 2016, Villanova had Ryan Archie Diacono. And Daniel Ochefu, NBA champions from this class, Alex Caruso, 2020 Lakers, Fred Van Vliet, 2019 Raptors. No one from the Suns on this current roster was in the 2012 recruiting class. If the Bucks win, Bryn Forbes, who started at Cleveland State, ended at Michigan State, the pride of Lansing, Michigan, high school teammates with Denzel Valentine, he would be added to the NBA champions list. Um, there you go. So we'll start. I have the number one pick, or no, you, Peyton, you have the number one I pick. I have the number one pick, and it is an absolute no-doubter to me. This is a class that probably, unless it happens for Fred Van Vliet, I don't think produces an NBA All-Star, right? 
the Marcus Smart pipe dream has died. The TJ Warren pipe dream has died. The Chris Dunn pipe dream died. Yeah, it's Fred Van Vliet or a mega, mega year for Buddy Heald if he ever this, The guy, exactly. The guy I'm taking one, Buddy Heald. So we're going a lot of this is going to be based off college accolades. This is going to be a more of a reoccurring theme as we inch closer to modern day, just because NBA careers haven't been as long. There's not as much to judge. So you're going to go more inherently off the college success. But for Buddy Heald, he is far and away the most successful college player in this class. I think you can argue is the best player in program history, like him, Mookie Blaylock, uh, Blake Griffin. They're all up there. But he was a two-time Big 12 player of the year. Two-time All-Big 12 tournaments, three-time All-Big 12 winner. Of course, he won the Wooden Award and Naismith Award and was a consensus All-American his last year. He got better every single season at Oklahoma, starting as a guy who averaged seven points per game, then 16 and a half, then 17 and a half, and then the 25-point-per-game big jump that he took during his senior year at OU in which he shot damn near close to 50-50-90. He shot 50% from the floor, 46% from three, 88% from the line. Just an unreal bucket, one of the best scorers that we've seen on a, a legit high-level team, and they just ran into the buzzsaw that was Villanova and got blown out in the Final Four. I'm looking up the Big 12 standings in 2016. And that- also has like one of the old time college basketball games at the fog in Allen Fieldhouse, the overtime game as well. Yeah. As seen. One of my notes on Buddy Heald was that um, a good friend of mine, Ben Brown, who has Kansas season tickets, said that the 46.8 rebound seven assist game, um, that was the triple overtime loss, was, quote, the best non Kevin Durant performance by an opposing player I've ever seen in the Fieldhouse. Yeah. And he got a standing ovation. Yeah, what I personally remember from rooting against Buddy Heald growing up is that every time that Oklahoma missed a shot, anytime they got an offensive rebound, you were like, oh, crap, scramble drill. They're just going to find Buddy and he's going to hit. Uh, you know what they say, best time to hit a three is off an offensive rebound. And that's what it felt like he made all of them. His like 46% from three, he was unreal like yeah you thought it was going in every single time and considering listen Gabe considering he started as a 24 percent three-point shooter his freshman year and became that on 8.7 attempts per game yeah like he was getting them up yeah um not to mention the fact that like Oklahoma has gone to five final fours in their program's history one of them was his his final four run in 2016 um, in terms of just what he meant to one of the best OU teams ever, I understand that they kind of got run off the floor by Villanova based on just an unbelievable shooting performance. Villanova did that in 2016. They did it in 2018 in the final four games of just knocking the lights out from three. I'm not holding that against Buddy Heald um, in terms of his all-time greatness. Probably not one of the best national players of the year of all time just because he kind of like Denzel Valentine won AP national player of the year in 2016 but Buddy Buckets Buddy Love kind of one of the one of the all-time nicknames too of Buddy Buckets so and he was sixth overall pick 2016 NBA draft 
16 points per game. So who's going to be the top five scorers in the NBA from this class? Well, Heald, Heald is just an auto bucket, so it will be him. Um, Van Vliet, TJ Warren. Buddy, Marcus Smart. Yeah, I said Buddy. Um, I'd say Marcus Smart's probably the fourth guy, and then I have absolutely no idea. Like, maybe... Jeremy Grant or Montrez? Even Adams, probably Jeremy Grant's. I'd say I'd say Grant. I'd probably say Jeremy Grant. Um, just a couple final numbers on Buddy Heald before we move on to where this really gets interesting, and I'm fascinated to see what you do in number two. So the advanced metrics can be flawed at times. Player efficiency rating was 28.2. What? True shooting, 66.5%. Nice. Those are like... I'm a center and I only shoot from within two feet numbers. And win shares, which are a highly flawed statistic, but this is just an astronomical number of 7.6 per game. This is all during, or 7.6 for the year. This is all during his senior season. He was, I'm telling you, he, he was not fun to root against. He wasn't. He was scary to root against. He was scary to root against. And, and what I say is, can you imagine had he, and Trey Young overlapped, what that might have looked like. Well, let's be fair. Isaiah Cousins and Jordan Woodard would, were very good yeah. running mates with him. Like, they were more sure. than competent. And Ryan Shout Spangler out was Laden. good. Shout out Kadeem Laden. Yeah. Um, are you ready for me to go, too? Yes, and there's a guy that I want you to take. I don't think you will. Yeah, I'm going to – okay. I honestly just think – if I add in the factor of what he means to the sport, if that's, if that's uh, one of the metrics, what you mean to your program, what you mean to the game of basketball, um, are you a winning player? I think adds in a lot. I think he's all of these things. I think the 2014 season in which, um, well, let me add, add this buddy healed two time, conference player of the year there are one two three there's four guys who were a multi-time conference player of the year in this class all four of them make my 16 okay so at two i'm gonna go with another guy who is a two-time player of the year i'm going with fred van Vliet at two yes he was unranked buddy healed by the way 156th ranked player originally by 247 sports for some reason, 247 Sports went like 600 deep on just about every class. And then I guess this class Ooh. sucked so much that they like downed it to Stopped 343. Yeah. They cut it in half. Um, one of the people that they cut was Fred Van Vliet. College averages. He only averaged 10 points per game, three rebounds per game, four and a half assists per game. I think when you talk about what it, what the person means to the sport, what their career means to the sport, the 2014 35-0 to start the year season – is one of the all-time close calls. Um, they easily could have beat that Kentucky team. That tournament was not very deep. Look who won it. It was UConn. It was an eight-seed Kentucky that Wichita State was right up against there, um, a super talented team, mm -hmm. and that's who was en ended up in the national championship game. Wichita State was in the Final Four the year before. They easily could have gotten back. So that will be one of the all-time close calls, one of the all-time what-ifs. I think the fact that his NBA averages have gone up every single year 
that the fact that they probably will go over uh, or go up again if Kyle Lowry leaves the Raptors. He'll probably become a 20-point-per-game scorer next year. He's a 2019 NBA champ. Maybe, maybe. But yeah. certainly his NBA averages are going to go up from 12 points per game because his first year he yeah. averaged two. And since then, he's averaged, I think, 10 yeah. and 12 and 19. He, he holds the – he set the all-time single-game scoring record for the Raptors this year. I did not know that. Yeah, he had a 52-point game this year. Um, he also is one of the – oddly enough, like Buddy Heel went back-to-back 2015-2016 Big 12 player of the year. Van Vliet got his sandwiched by Seth Tuttle in 2015. So he was the 2014 player of the year. And then his senior year, he was dominant 2016 player of the year. I'm going with him at two. And I, I, it's very close for me with the guys that are at three and four, but he's two for me. This is what I wanted you to do. I'm happy with this. And after his freshman year, the other note I had, he started every game. Pride of Rockford, Illinois, the greatest undrafted NBA player of all time. Yes. Um, yeah. I mean, I think he's the guy that people in that program celebrate the most. I think he is important to college basketball. I think he probably ends up with the best professional career out of this class. Honestly, you could make the argument for him to be number one. When this is when these guys retire and we see what he's done. And he may be a guy who wins multiple NBA championships because he's the kind of player that's going to help a team get closer to that no matter where he is. I think he could potentially make a push for number one. That's possible. He's the only other person that could make a push for one. Yeah. You ready to get weird? (laughs) Sure. Because you're still going to get to draft Marcus Smart. Okay. I went with Ryan Archie Diakono at three. Whoa, okay, I have him at five. I mean, not only did he facilitate the – here I go again – the biggest shot in NCAA history because we've not had, other than like Thurl Bailey, championship-winning buzzer beaters and certainly not threes. And you can say, oh, well, they would have just gone to overtime had Jenkins missed a shot. You're right. You but Archie, here, here's the backstory behind that play. This comes from Jalen Brunson – via the old man in the three podcast that JJ Reddick does. So Villanova had practiced that play all year long. The thing is, Ryan Archie Diacono took the shot every time. It wasn't even built into the structure of the play that Jenkins, the trailer, was supposed to be an option. And Ryan Archie Diacono had the awareness to know that he was going to be in a good position to step into a three and hit it shove the pass off to Chris Jenkins, they win the game. Okay, so, like, let me clarify the significance of him in that moment and how much responsibility he has compared to what it would look like in that moment at face value because that was all him. It's not like it was a design play and he knew that he was just going to shovel the pass to Jenkins. Okay, so that, that elevated him a little bit to me, gave him a little push. He's an NCAA champion. The only guy, I think, in this – class that was an NCAA tournament most outstanding player, correct? Yes. There was a couple guys who were all tournament teams. Like Bryce Johnson made an NCAA all-tournament team. Uh, And a guy we'll talk about later, Marcus Page, would have won most outstanding player had Chris Jenkins not hit that shot and they won that game, UNC in overtime, the national championship. So 
he was 2016-15, big, all Big East uh, selection, the Big East player of the year in 14-15. So, what's up? It was co-player of the year with Chris Dunn. Because they, like, they, they like to do loves that. to split that award up. Never that dominant statistically. His senior year was his best year offensively at 12.5 points per game and 4.2 assists. But was the guy who helped Jay Wright really break through and put Villanova there because they were a team that had won a championship before this, but it was also the greatest tournament run in upset aside from NC state up until, you know, the UConn teens of the last decade ever and was widely regarded as that. I think that they're the lowest seed to ever win a national championship, right? As a nine, correct? Believe so, the Pinckney team. So it was kind of a fluke, not to say that any championship is truly fluky because you don't want to denigrate what it means to the guys that won it, but kind of a fluky championship. And then Villanova hadn't been what they are now before Ryan Archidiakono. So he got them there. He was a part of an elite class of players that all ended up, you know, kind of being better than what they were thought to be because I, I believe uh, approaching that game, Stephen A. Smith had said that there were no NBA guys on this Villanova team. It turned out there were like four or five. Mikhail Bridges, Ryan Archidiakno still in the league and plays. Jalen Brunson. Um, we, we talked about Josh Hart. There was Amari Spellman. Um, well, Spellman was on the 18 team. This 16 Not team Spellman. had... Who am I thinking of? Um, let me look at the roster on the 16 team. The 16 team had Josh Hart, Archie Diakono, Daniel Brunson, or Daniel Chefu, sorry, Jalen Brunson. Who did play in the league for like a second. Dante DiVincenzo was a, re- was a freshman, but he didn't play. Yeah. So it's a loaded team, but Ryan Archie Diakono was kind of the catalyst, and that's why he's at three to me. He's crucially important in the storytelling of this program. For Villanova fans, I don't think they get there without Ryan Archidiakono. Yeah, I would I would certainly make the case. Uh, he, I'm not going to push back on him at three because they won the national championship and he was most outstanding player and no one in this class, no one in this class is good enough in the NBA for there to be any debate that any NBA accolades should overshadow what has been done at the college level. So yeah, absolutely feels fine. Yeah, no, for sure. So I'm honored because I'm trying to figure out who this Villanova player that I'm thinking of is, and I can't. In terms of what? Eric Pascal, who wasn't on that team. He came the next year. That's who I was trying to think of. Yes, 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 yes. He was on the next year team. Okay. Sorry. Um, did he transfer? He did. He was at Fordham. No. Pascal was a transfer on that team. So he was on the. Hmm, okay. So he's on the roster. Yeah. So he, he might've gotten a ring for just being a, a transfer on that team. Bottom line is there are more NBA players on that team than not. <laughs> you know, and that's what happens when non-college basketball people talk about college basketball. Yeah. Is they don't realize what's going on. Um, all right. At number four, I am going to go with. Archie Diakono, by the way, sorry, I always mess this up. 57th ranked player in the class originally. 
Um, at four, I'm going to go with Marcus Smart. Yeah. 10th ranked player in the class, 16, six and four and a half points, rebounds, assists per game for his college career. Two-time first-team All-Big 12. He was a Big 12 player of the year his freshman year. Could I actually make the case, and if I was going to be denigrating against Marcus Smart, I would say that he was worse as a sophomore than he was as a freshman. Um, I think he was trying to become something. He was trying to develop his game to show scouts that he was more NBA league ready, and he played out of what he normally was. He was all defense. He was all effort, all freshman, Big 12, two-time all, all defense, 2013 Big 12 Newcomer of the Year, along with that Player of the Year Award, 2013 Second Team All-American. In the NBA, he's been an all-rookie in 2015 and a two-time all-defensive guy. Um, his reputation is defensive stopper, sixth overall yeah. pick in the 2014 NBA draft. He was kind of – he was a bulldog. I remember him getting in a fight with a Texas Tech fan who yelled at him and I think hit him. And then Marcus pushed him back. Kind of, kind of a bad look. Um, yeah, that was a whole thing. I remember he, he was very confrontational with fans. And I think he's actually mellowed out in the NBA where hearing interviews with him, hearing him talk, he's become a lot more of a measured nuanced guy. When he was at Oklahoma state, he was kind of high strung fought with a Texas Tech fan was basically like, doing backflips on the, he did backflips on the Jayhawk after they beat KU um, all because KU didn't, KU would not recruit Phil Forte to come with him. Basically he said, I would have gone to KU if Phil Forte would have been offered a scholarship. Oklahoma state offered Phil Forte a scholarship. He was like, I'm going to play with my buddy at OSU. So that's what that animosity came from. Um, he was like, awesome. And he just, what a weird time for Oklahoma State because they had Markel yeah. Brown, LeBron Nash, and him. And Phil Forte, who could play. Yeah. And, like, was a legit shooter. And why why didn't Kansas want him? Because he was a small guard. <laughs> like, look at what, like, the, in next year's class, they added a short white guard, Connor Frank Camp. Didn't work out. So, I can't nope. say, like – if Marcus Smart is there with Phil Forte, Phil Forte doesn't play much the first couple of years. I think Phil Forte probably transfers as soon as Marcus Smart leaves Kansas. Maybe, maybe. Uh, no, I think this is the clear number four. You could argue it should have been number three, and I would hear that argument. I went and started looking at, like, the greatest guys in Oklahoma State history, and you can't really argue that it's Marcus Smart, and that's kind of why I ended up dropping him to four. Because you're going to say it's like Bryant Reeves, it's the guys who stayed for four years, who had the all-time scoring marks at OSU, whereas Archie was a, a four-year dude who won a national championship. They won a national championship because of him. He made the defining play of that game. Um, that's why I did it the way I did. I assume you had Marcus Smart at three. I did have him at three just because I thought he's he was such a good player. And oddly enough, I think a little bit held back in the fact that they lost in the second round of both tournaments. I think technically the second round was the first round in both. Um, and I think part of that was just Travis Ford not being that great of a coach. Like that 2012-13 team got up to as high as 13th in the country. The next year with Marcus Smart, they were preseason the ninth ranked team in the country. They got up to five and then things kind of fluttered off and they finished 21 and 13. So Lots of talent, as we mentioned, with Nash and Markel Brown and Phil Forte and Smart. 
and they they got zero NCAA tournament wins out of it, which is really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that, that's and that's what it kind of comes down to is the tournament success differentiates it, right? Mm-hmm. Which it's going to be with a lot of these guys. Yeah, like I, I gave boost, I gave boost for Final Four appearances, and I gave boost for Conference Player of the Years because that's really what you're judging these guys on in this class. Absolutely. All right. At five, there's an obvious answer. Ooh. There's an obvious answer. And well, I, I know one of the guys that I have here that I'm thinking about is the obvious answer, and that's Denzel Valentine, correct? Mm-hmm. I'm stuck between him and Marcus Page, so help me out. Yeah, it's got to be Valentine. I know Valentine split the National Player of the Year, was one of the most complete stat line seasons in college basketball history. I think he was... His senior year, I'm going to just look to make sure. He was 19-8-8 eight and eight per game. Yeah, and that doesn't happen at the college level. Um, now, the fact that that year was ended by MTSU sucks. Hurts him to me. But he was in the Final Four in 2015. As sure. a seven seed. As a seven seed. With a, a pretty remarkable run. And he was at the center of it, and that helps. But I just, and we've talked a lot about the legacy of Marcus Page and that shot. I, I refuse to let people forget that shot. I think that's part of it. So here's a case from Marcus Page, okay? Three time All ACC attorney. Two-time All-ACC, was ACC All-Freshman. North Carolina fans adore him. He was superb in that tournament run that they had. National Championship game, 21 points, six assists, hits the leaning three. That's canceled out by the Jenkins shot to tie the game. He is a guy that Unfortunately, because we all, I think we all think that Marcus Page is better than Joel Berry, like respect to Joel Berry, but we all think Marcus Page is better than Joel Berry, and he just got his run at UNC two years too early. That's fair. He got kind of screwed. The interesting thing about him is that he, I think, accepted different roles as more talent came in around him because as a sophomore, he averaged 17 points and four assists, but as the team around him got better, I think he also acknowledged that he needed to score less, facilitate more, kind of run the offense, and his scoring average fell the next two years. So he scored 17 a game as a sophomore, only 12 a game as a senior, but we also already know the results of that senior year and what him doing that facilitated. So that that's my hard point because the tournament success for Marcus Page and the fact that he got hit with the ultimate sometimes it's a make or miss league moment where a guy just made a shot and his career was just over. That's why I'm going back and forth, okay? Because I don't know, how do Michigan State fans feel about Denzel Valentine? He, in the moment, in the 2016 season, there was a lot of Draymond Green talk with the way that he was. Like, yeah. there was a lot of that. 
part of that just, just like so like but like listen so much of it legacy wise is what ends it what is the last thing that you did if the last thing that you did was coming up short of a goal that you had never achieved they had right. never achieved a final four i think that that team was somewhat flawed in the sense that there was really no overwhelming nba talent on that team unless i'm forgetting. in hindsight in hindsight yeah i mean they were a two seed though like they and they were the trendiest pick to win the national champ i think they had like a bigger share of national championship brackets than like two of the one seats that year yes uh who were the one seats in 2016 one of them was kansas one of them was because what did we end up with in the in the tournament north let me look up 2016 NCAA tournament. I need to, they need to have that was North Carolina Nova. Yes. But I want to know like who else was where. Um, Kansas was the number one overall seed uh, in the South, Oregon in the West, North Carolina, Virginia, Michigan state was the two in Virginia's region. Xavier was the two in the East. Oklahoma was the two in the West and Nova was the two in the, in the South. Mm -hmm. So if I remember correctly, Michigan state had more national championship picks than Virginia and then Oregon. Believe so. Yes. That's how it was for sure. So Michigan state ends that year 29 and six. Tough. They were an automatic bid. They won the big 10 conference tournament. So let's say they got hot at the end. And yeah, it was, it was it, January, February, Izzo, everybody was like, yeah. And, like, that just kind of hasn't been as true lately. Like, are we aware of this? That Izzo actually hasn't been that great in the tournament as of late? Yes. I've been trying to point this out. Yeah. Uh, they went into the NCAA tournament on a nine-game winning streak and then lost to Giddy Potts. Shout out Giddy Potts. Giddy Potts Shout out and RJ Hunter's younger brother or whatever it was. Robert Upshaw or yeah. Reggie Upshaw. I forget what the name was. Um, so you're going with Valentine at five? I'm still undecided. I I think the fact that he split a national player of the year award and Marcus Page was never an all-American has to be the tiebreaker. Yeah, you're right. It's gotta be Valentine. It's gotta yeah. be Valentine. Okay. I'll be honest. I still wouldn't even have picked Marcus Page at six. Okay. But for the sake of you. No, don't do it. I'll I'll take him at seven. It's okay. Well, because I think that who I'm going with at six might have a little bit to do with how I grew up. Okay. And, And with Marcus Page, I would just say, hey, I mean, you can't rewrite history. What happened, happened. If they go on to win that game in overtime, no doubter, he's going third on this list. Maybe second. Uh, he definitely gets Archie Diakono's spot, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, no, yeah. At six, mm, it's either Marcus Page or this guy. You better not. If it's George Niang, I'm going to ask you to put Marcus Page at six. That's who it would have been. Okay, please put Marcus Page at six. Okay, I'll put Marcus Page at six. Because I was – the tiebreaker with Page and Valentine 
is that Valentine was a national player of the year. With Niang, it was that he was a second-team All-American. Yeah. No. He was a stud, but it sucks sucks that it ended with a UAB. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, the lasting memory of these guys is, like, when you were at supposedly the peak of your powers, your last tournament run, what happened? This is supposed to be you at your best, and you lost UAB. Yeah. I... George Niang might be first team all Big 12 tournament for like the last decade. He was one of the best players to lace it up in the Sprint Center in Kansas City, like one of the best. He was three-time all Big 12 tournament. I honestly, in thinking back to it, don't quite remember how Melvin Edgem won conference player of the year over George Niang on the same team. When Niang was a sophomore, I guess Edgem was older and got the tiebreaker vote. But Niang was a stud. His senior year, he averaged 20 and a half points per game. Um, I I thought it was close, but I'm good with Marcus Page at six. Okay. So it's me for seven? Yes. I'm going to go with TJ Warren here. No way. Yeah, I we why not? Trust. I thought we were going, you were going to take me No. I mean, TJ Warren's sophomore year was so far and away better than anything that Niang did, statistically. Okay. Niang's going to be eight, by the way. That's fine. I'm fine with that. I think that's where he should be. Okay. Let's talk about, T- let's talk about Tony Warren Jr. Also, also interested to see that you have Niang like that far and away higher than like a Sam Decker, but... It, just interesting. Just I think interesting. he was he was a better player. Decker gets bonus points for the fact that he was on the team that beat Kentucky and was really good, and then he yeah, you know, wasn't he, that good in the NBA. Yes. Um. So guy. I went with TJ Warren here. Massive jump from freshman to sophomore year was a highly talented, touted guy. Not the best recruit stars wise in his class for NC State. It was actually Rodney Purvis. But you wouldn't have been able to tell by the way you played his sophomore year because it was Kobe mode, mama mentality. We're shooting the ball every time. Like, you don't see guys shoot the ball 19 times a game in college. That does, that does not happen. You don't always see a player of his stature at a power conference playing with teammates like he had, though. Dude averaged 25 points per game and one assist per game. Like, that means you got the ball in your hands a lot, and only one time a game did you pass it to somebody you scored. 1.1 assists per game. Considering he had the ball in his hand that much, and he only turned it over 2.4 times per game that year. (laughs) He shot it more than he got it ripped away from him. (laughs) Shot 58% from two. Here's the crazy thing. Efficiency? If you're scoring that much and shooting over 50% from the floor in college, that's pretty remarkable. It's one of the better individual scoring seasons at the power level that we've seen in recent memory. Consensus All-American that year. Um, You could, I think, definitely argue he's one of the best, if not the best, NC State players ever, right? Yeah. I mean, as a national championship team, get the boost because they won the national championship, but like, Again, like Thurl Bailey and them, probably not as good as T.J. Warren was for one year. Like Dennis Smith probably up there. 
But TJ Warren wasn't was, an All-American. Yeah, TJ Warren was ridiculous. Um, again, you pointed out, hey, just kind of played on a little bit of, again, I say this with all due respect, a little bit of a bum squad at NC State. So I think he gets the nod here because I think he, in the context of his program, is probably elevated just as high as a guy like George Niang. And I think that um, he was a better basketball player by himself. I also just kind of don't like George Niang. Really? Yeah, something about him. You just I don't, don't like, like that pudgy his, guys. I just, well, part I think it's the S at the end of his name bothers me too. Well, it's just George Niang. But it's Georges. I don't think you have to pronounce the S. Um, my thoughts on Tony, on Tony Warren Jr. on the 2014 ACC Player of the Year. Um, I found it interesting that he had two 40-point games. He had half as many games of 40 points in that year as he did games with less than 20. <laughs> Like, do, do you realize how daggum good you have to be to win ACC Player of the Year on a team that was, like, 500 in the conference? During that stretch, too, yeah. Yeah. Um, man, 15-point-per-game score in the NBA. He'll be top five all-time in NBA scoring for this class. I had his moment in the bubble where he was the best player in the NBA for, like, three games. Almost fought Jimmy Butler one night two years ago yep. that's probably his most iconic basketball memory um it's remarkable though marcus smart goes never wins a college and he never wins an ncaa tournament game tj warren won an ncaa tournament game yeah realistically why do we have like marcus smart ahead of tj warren he's more of a winner there's a lot more around him he's more of a winner like a winning player at the NBA level. Okay, fair enough. Like TJ Warren wouldn't if you've been traded for cash considerations, shout out Tory Craig. If you've been traded just for straight up cash, which TJ Warren has been and that was probably not a good deal, but like the fact that anyone even would consider trading you just for straight up cash is not a I good deal. I was about spot. to say like that's more about the Suns being kind of like inept and why this is even more of a miracle. But it can be slightly inept, but it can also just be like, if anyone's willing to consider that, it's not a good sign for you. I mean, yeah. I, so, think, he's made him, I think he's made him pay for that decision. He's proven he's worth a lot more than cash considerations. Yeah, that's fair. Um, Ranker.com well, has him as the sixth greatest player in NCAA State or NC State history. Compared to who? David Thompson, Thurl Bailey, Spud Webb. Um, Tommy Burleson and Ronnie Monroe are the men ahead of him. Okay. Vinny Del Negro there somewhere too. So TJ Warren at seven, Niang at eight, the three-time all big 12 selection, 2016 second team, all American. He was big 12 all freshman. He was great all those years. And he's just a competent NBA player at this point. Solid bench piece for the jazz. Who do you have at nine? I took RJ Hunter at nine. I had him as my 16th guy. Ron Hunter has fallen off his chair. And again, I think this is where we differ in our ideology because we're going about impact and how many people remember you. 
and it's him hitting that shot. It's him getting drafted as highly as he did, even though he didn't pan out um, out of a conference like that. And just so much has to do with the shot. Like I'm not even going to focus on the accolades. Like Sam Decker as an individual will fade in history. We will remember probably Frank Kaminsky from the Wisconsin team. If we remember anything at all other than Wisconsin beat Kentucky. RJ Hunter's shot is going to be in the montage for 50 years. He's obviously the greatest player in Georgia State basketball history. Was a pretty phenomenal scorer, a guy that averaged around 20 points per game. Two-time Sun Belt Player of the Year. Helped Georgia State make that transition into the Sun Belt. But I'm not going to hang my hat on any of those statistical arguments because I'll lose because it's all about the shot. And it's all about that NCAA tournament run. He can't be over certain people on this list. He just can't. But he is, and you're going to have to live with it because he is. I mean, I'm not going to throw a fit because there's there's literally nothing worth throwing a fit about in this recruiting class. <laughs> but <laughs> he can't be he can't be that, over a that, couple that, of these guys. Listen, that's a big part of it. Like this class is so weak, and it's just about what you value. Yeah, it's like I just. Not willing to throw a fuss about that. It was a great shot. It will always be in the March Madness memory. Uh, the run, they will always keep showing that. And Ron Hunter fell off his stool or chair, whatever the, what, what the wording was. That's always going to be. Yeah. Um, with the freaking broken foot. Mm-hmm. Uh, two-time Sunbelt Player of the Year. I mentioned if you were a two-time Conference Player of the Year winner during this class, you make this list for me. And that's where I'm going at 10. I'm going with a two-time conference player of the year. I'm going with the – actually, okay, wait. No, okay, I'm doing that. Yeah, I'm doing that. Chris Dunn. Chris Dunn at 10. Two-time Big East player of the year. Two-time Big East defensive player of the year. You know how good you have to be as a defender to win – multiple defensive players of the year as a guard like you have to yeah, he was unbelievable lock down uh two-time all big east i honestly forgot that he spent four years at providence partially because of the injury partially because he wasn't good as a freshman um but if you just like pit him in those two years at the end the 16th ranked players as a class he was awesome so we're gonna we're gonna at at 10 we're going with Chris Dunn at 16. I'm going to read through the, the top 10 um, and give where everyone's original ranking was to this mm-hmm. point. So, Buddy Heald, 156. Fred Van Vliet, unranked. Ryan Archidiakno, 57th. Marcus Smart, 10th. Denzel Valentine, 112th. Uh, Marcus Page, 30th. George Niang, no, TJ Warren, excuse me, uh, <laughs> at 23rd. George Niang at 71st. RJ Hunter, 283rd. Chris Dunn, 16th. Where that's our top 10 so far. Just the, I wanted to love Chris Dunn so much. It was just that last year was just such a disappointment. Yeah, it was. It, the fact that. They were what he, I mean, he was the conference player of the year. 
but they were a nine seed in the NCAA tournament. I mean, they win a game and then they get drubbed by North Carolina um, by the Marcus Page team. Um, nothing impressive, but I think part of that is just that like Ed Cooley's not the greatest coach ever. I was about to say, like, I don't, Ed Cooley's so celebrated, and this isn't just like to tear Ed Cooley down because I've heard he is a wonderful human being, but like, why does he still have that job? How does he survive this? Uh, I mean, like Providence is a, a school with history, and at this point, like, they're a hard place to recruit to. I mean, I suppose, yeah. And, and like, part of the reason they got Chris Dunn is because look at where Chris Dunn is from. Like, he's he's a New England kid. He's from Connecticut. So he he wasn't going far from home. But they still have had guys and they just never, whether it's David Duke or Alpha Diallo or some of the other guys they've had even post Chris Dunn and they just never do anything. Their benches are never very good. Yes, <laughs> so. And look at who they, like, they're in the Big East. They're competing against Georgetown. They're competing against Villanova. They're complete, competing against Butler, Creighton, like, yeah. A lot of programs that just recruit better than them now, which is interesting. Yeah. All right, let's take a short break and come right back. Okay, we took a little break. Peyton charges laptop, and I checked Twitter and found out that a source has confirmed to John Rothstein that Remy Martin has removed his name from the NBA mm. and will head to Lawrence. Rothstein. Spring Bill Self woke up and chose violence. He gets Remy Martin back. He gets Jalen Wilson back. He gets Ochai Abaji back. Kansas will be your preseason favorite. Also, by the way, they are 20 to 1 to win the championship right now on Bovada. Gambling man, is that worth betting? 20 to 1. Mm-hmm. If Chris Middleton at plus 625 for finals MVP is worth a sprinkle, I would say. Kansas to win the 2022 national championship. Worth like five bucks? Five to win uh one hundo? A hundo? Yeah. Not a bad, not a bad idea. Band? Um, might have to get on that. All right. Pick number eleven. We've already talked enough about Remy at the start of the show. Um, and we'll talk plenty about him next year. I might have to go put on my Kansas jersey for the rest of the day with that next <laughs> Um, pick number eleven is to you. Where are we going? It, it begrudgingly, Sam Decker. Whoa, I would not have picked Sam Decker. You're higher on him than I am. Oh, my God. Uh, he's the second best player in, like, Wisconsin basketball history. Like, they don't have a very proud history. True. And he's part of the best, the probably the most renowned team in Wisconsin basketball history. Like, they, they legitimately, there is a claim that the top two guys to ever play for that program are on that team, and it's Sam Decker and Frank Kaminsky. Yeah, I'm trying to see if we forgot anybody. I'm looking up best players in Wisconsin basketball history just to see. I already looked it up to make this point, but, I mean, the stats don't blow you away. The accolades don't blow you away either. He was a three-year guy, but he was a part of the team that beat freaking Kentucky, and this is how weak this class is. Like (laughs) – the the thing the thing that he accomplished is of greater significance than any other accomplishment that we will mention the rest of the way. 
That's true. The guy I the and he means more to the program he played at than any other guy I think we mentioned the rest of the way. Yeah. There's only one other guy that I think is getting his jersey retired. Two guys that I think are getting their jerseys retired at the school that they went to. Okay. Um, like I think Marcus Page gets his like of the guys that we've gone through so far, I think Buddy Heald's jersey will hang. Fred Van Vliet's will hang. Marcus Archie will hang. Valentine, Archie Diacono, Niang. Archie, Ar- Archie Diaconos is literally already hanging. I think everybody we've ranked so far will get their jersey hung. The rest of the list, I'm not quite sure about. One of the guys I'm sure will not. Um, but I think I'm higher on him than you are, so he'll probably be my pick 16. Um, do you want me to go with 12? Yeah, this is where it gets really like gross for me. This is where I'm rewarding someone for just being a good NBA player. And being okay. a two-time all Pac-12 selection and the Pac-12 tournament MVP in 2014. Mm. Uh, I'm going to go with slow-mo. I'm going to go with Kyle Anderson at 12. Yeah. He is a guy who, if he plays all four years, would have put up crazy numbers, probably would have put up Denzel Valentine numbers type type of deal in his junior, senior year. Ends up averaging 12 nine and five for his college career, which is nuts for a guy who only played two years uh, for that to be his, his total counting tally one triple double in college, but he kind of like flirted with them consistently and very impressed that he's stuck around in the NBA since 2014, just doing role player stuff. I, I mean, I don't hate it. I don't, like love it. I think there are guys that probably like had higher peaks in terms of like notoriety than him that are available, I think. But like we're we're here. Like you're gonna hear names like Kyle Anderson the rest of the way. Any program that gets two years that of all league play and then a solid NBA guy to point to, I think people are signing up for that. So Kyle Anderson at 12. Okay. I hear it. I hear it. I'm a little bit surprised. Okay. Um, the guy that I'm going to go still here. hanging. Like, are you surprised at the gulf between when I started standing up for George Yang and the guy that you thought I was comparing him to? Are you surprised that it's this large for me? Yeah. You are? Yes, I am. Because their accomplishments are somewhat similar. Okay. Um. So I'm going to go with a guy here that certainly is going just purely based on college success. And again, it's hard to value him in the context of his program in terms of like overall importance to that program. Cause they just have had a ton of guys, but I'm going to go with Nick Stauskas. Okay. I had him at 14. I feel good about this. Sauce Castillo. Um, yeah, consensus all American, just like Niang was the, Big Ten Player of the Year in 13-14 was a two-time all-region member, a guy that got to – I'm just trying to make sure that I got this correct. Two Final Fours, correct? Or was it a Final Four and an Elite Eight? Uh, 
because he was on the Louisville, he was on the team that lost to Louisville in the national championship, and he was on a team that won their first round game, their second round game, third round game, lost in the Elite Eight to Michigan um, during the 13-14 season. Um, was a guy that his sophomore year averaged 17 a game on a Michigan team that was one of the best in the country. Oh. And lost to the Julius Randle team in the Elite Eight. Yeah. Had Michigan won that national championship or, hey, like Stauskas actually rewards his top 10 draft status and is a good NBA player with the Kings, which he flirted with for like moments. He's much higher up this list based on what he did in college and kind of the like legend he was. But I feel like he's just kind of faded over time. Yeah, he's a guy that's gotten kind of forgotten. And because of his lack of NBA success, people view him as one of the weaker Big Ten players of the year of all time. Which just isn't fair or true. Yeah, which is not fair because he was a stud. And like the fact that he was competent enough to be the third leading scorer on a team that went to the national championship game his freshman year says a lot about him. And that was a young team that had a lot of poise between Hardaway and Glenn Robinson and Trey Burke, uh, all those guys, Mitch McGarry too, all yeah, of them were very young. It was a very young team. Um, yeah, I'm not going to get any pushback on Nick Stauskas at 13 for the 110th ranked player in the class. Yeah. Um, mm, mm-hmm. Do I go with the worst first team All-American of all time? No. Okay, then I then the next guy on my list is Perry Ellis. Yeah. Okay, Perry Ellis at 14. Okay. 2016 second team. You're right. You're right. The fact that Perry Ellis was a three-time all Big 12 selection and he did the exact same thing that George Niang did and had more tournament success. I don't know why you love George Niang so much. Because George Niang means more to his program than Perry Ellis does. Like Perry Ellis is loved by Kansas fans. George Niang is one of the top three best players in that program's history. Perry Ellis is probably, probably getting his jersey retired at Kansas, but also go through his tournaments, his like his NCAA career. Sweet 16 first year, they lose to Michigan. They choke that game away. I know he has nothing to do with it. That's not a Final Four. Sophomore year, they lose to Stanford in the second round. I know that that had a lot to do with Joel Embiid, and if Joel Embiid plays, I think that they win the national championship that year. Like I think that his back injury was that important. If you go to the next year, 2015, they lose in the second round of Wichita State. 2016, he goes one of eight, scores four points in the NCAA Elite Eight game to lose to Villanova on a team that was the number one overall seed, not just the num- not just a number one seed, the number one overall seed. His NCAA tournament career was kind of disappointing relative to even relative to even what Frank Mason does in the next class, where at least Frank Mason got to multiple elite eights and never really came up short. I would say some unlucky three point variants and other guys uh, contributed to him never playing in a final four. And then Devontae Graham, you know, gets to the final four, but I Perry Ellis is loved by Kansas fans. He was he was an assistant coach, I think, last year, um, taking time off of playing pro basketball because he tore his ACL during the TBT tournament. Mm-hmm. But um, 
he's not as highly thought of as George Yang is to his fan base. And that's why like Ellis just gets hurt because he went to Kansas and relative to Kansas, he's not that, that special. He is a top 10 all-time scorer career. Okay. That's true. Can you, how many of the guys in front of him do you think you can name in order? Uh, I could bet I could, ah, Wilt. Wilt, Wilt's not listed. I think it's because not all statistics were recorded at that okay. point. Okay, Clyde Lovellette. Where? Uh, that's four. I'm uh, shocked that you've not gotten one because he is one by almost a thousand points. Nick Collison. That's two. Uh, Paul Pierce. Paul no. Pierce is ten. Okay. Uh, is Frank Mason? Frank Mason is six. Is Devontae Graham on the list? No. If we were doing this, Graham is 13. He's, like, on the list. He's just on the top 10. If we were doing this family feud style, you'd be killing it. We're not, I was kind of hoping you'd be able to go in order. In order? Danny Manning. Yeah, Danny Manning's one. He's nearly 3,000 career points. Collinson's two. Ray what did Perry Flatt. finish with? What's up? What did Perry finish with? Perry finished at 1,798. Had he played one more game or actually contributed in that game that they lost in the NCAA tournament, his last game in college where he scored four points, he ends up probably seventh as he was 23 points off jumping two spots. Yeah, he needed a final four. He needed that final four. Um, I mean, there's a reason people thought he stuck around forever. Like he scored a bunch of points and was productive. Because he did stick around forever. Well, and he, he just looked like he aged 15 years in college. His game had noticeable progression, though. Like, he went from a guy who I think took two three-pointers or three three-pointers as a freshman to, like, a consistent pick-and-pop guy at the end. And to be fair, like, was on one of my favorite KU teams that didn't. Like, that 2016 team of Selden, Ellis, Graham, and Mason, I feel bad for because I really thought – they were going to win the national championship. And I really thought that they were going to win that Villanova game until they didn't. So I'm probably a little too harsh on him considering that he's a top 10 all-time scorer in the program history and that he had noticeable progression through the years, but him at 14 feels right. Hmm. This is, I mean, we got two spots left. You want to know who's missing from my list? Who? Anthony we Bennett. So, we're missing Collie Stein and Not we're missing Bryce Johnson. I thought you were going to give me an Anthony Bennett laugh. Oh, no. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> I'm um, not putting Anthony Bennett there. Do you think UNLV is like, you know what, Anthony Bennett, success story? <laughs> <laughs> um, so I don't want to go with Willie Collie Stein, so I'm not going to. Um, and that leaves me stuck. The names that I'm considering – are Isaiah Austin, which you can't really do. You kind of wonder what it would have been with the diagnosis of Marfan syndrome not coming. He's that happened at the NBA Combine. Basketball again. What's up? Yeah, he is playing basketball again. That happened at the NBA Combine, if I'm correct. Mm -hmm. So you kind of wonder what kind of NBA player you would have been because he would have been in the NBA and whether that changes things for him. But he was another guy that is largely accredited for what Bryce Drew was able to do now because he was a big guy that helped turn their program around. He's Scott, one of the Scott, Scott, 
What? Oh, Scott. Said, Bryce. Yeah, you said Bryce. Nice. Um, sorry, Bryce Drew lives in my head rent free. Um, <laughs> so I mean, we need to go to a GCU game this year. We do. We do. Heat check on the road. Montrez Harrell is probably who I am gonna go with. I mean, like you're shaking your head. No, he was an energy guy. Didn't play a ton, but he did start games on the national championship team and was all ACC. I mean, there's Yogi Ferrell. There's, I mean, I don't know what you want me to do. There's Steven Adams, who I don't think Pitt fans really write home about. He didn't. Um, Montrez did not start the national championship game. No, I, I didn't. He started games on that team that season, though. He started three games. Three games. <laughs> but as a freshman on that team, yeah, that's that's not nothing. Like he played is the point I'm trying to make. It's not like he was just sitting on the bench. He played uh, 12 minutes in the national championship game. Yeah, he played, and then he went on to score 14 and 15 a game the next two years. There's Terry Rozier. There's Gary Harris. No, Terry uh, Rozier was not in this class. According to NBC Sports, he was. I don't know why people think he's in this. He wasn't. He he didn't. He wasn't on this Louisville team. I think he might have done a prep school year because he's in next year's class. Yeah, he went to Hargrave okay. Military Academy. He's in next year's class. He's not in this class. Okay, so he gets dropped from consideration. There are no good answers here. Torian Prince. There's a guy that has his jersey number retired already. Who? Johnson. I mean, I love Bryce Johnson, but again, it's just like, man, you really wish he'd been around for two more years. What do you mean? He wasn't on the national championship team. Oh, oh, oh. I was like, he played four years. Yeah, no, I'm saying I, I really wish he had been able to get the national championship. I mean, Bryce Johnson's a guy who or got, one more year. Yeah. got the back, like, got all the points that Marcus Page forfeited of, like, being a setup guy. Yeah, and had, like, ridiculous stats. Like, would have games where you'd go get, like, 25 rebounds. I love Bryce Johnson. He had, he had two 20-plus rebound games in his senior like, year. I, do North Carolina fans, like, really hold up Bryce Johnson in any esteem, though? Do you, he went for 39 and 23 against I remember that game. Yeah, that game yeah. was nuts. Um, yeah. Had great games against Duke. Um, my heart's telling me to go with a fan favorite, though. Who's the fan favorite? You're just sighing at me. A guy who was on the first heat check audio board. Soundbite of him. A guy that was not very highly recruited, but turned himself into something. And that's Torian Prince. No, I veto that pick. And because I listened to you, you earlier. Veto, you no, there's, you can't get a veto. No, I listened to you on George and Yang earlier. Torian Prince is not the 15th best player in this class. Who is then? How Torian Prince is really important for Baylor. No, he's not. Who is it then? He's there are no good options. He's an iconic figurehead of two yeah, exactly. program and, losses in history. And you go up with two hands and you grab the re, the basketball, and that's considered a rebound. Is the no reason no one why. in Waco is celebrating that? He's iconic though. He's not fifteen. Who is? 
both both Willie Cauley Stein or Bryce Johnson are better. And you I refuse to, to rank Willie Cauley Stein. What? I refuse to rank Willie Cauley Stein because I know you will at sixteen. Then go Bryce. Someone that had to 39 and 23 in a game over a guy who was like a part of two horrible losses, two losses of seven or greater seed gaps. That's bad. It's like Cinderius Thorn. Is there somebody I'm missing? Is like Cinderius Thornwell or something in this class? Daniel House. Yeah, Rico Gathers. Alex Caruso. He was bad. He was not that good at Texas. No, he wasn't. He averaged like 10 points a game. He no, he never averaged 10 points per game in all four years. I don't know, dude. You just take the next two picks. Do what you want to do. I okay. I then at 15 and 16, we go Bryce Johnson and Willie Cauley Stein. It in Willie Cauley Stein first of those two. No, Bryce Johnson at 15. Oh. Willie Cauley Stein at 16. They were both first team all Americans. So I, just, I really wish Bryce Johnson had gotten the national championship. Bryce Johnson was awesome yeah he was terrific and willie call stein sneaky like, i did not know he averaged nine points per game in the nba this year or total for his career mm-hmm. um, he has face tats he does have face tats pride of olatha um i just remember the fact that when he was getting recruited um he <laughs> john calipari came to watch willie call stein play football and Willie Coley Stein was a six, nine wide receiver when he was in high school, just sunning on white kids in Johnson County. Yeah. And at one point I heard the story that Calipari was standing on the sideline. Coley Stein lines up. He like points at the official to make sure he's onside and then points at Calipari and says, watch this and just mosses three dudes for a touchdown. <laughs> and after the game, Calipari was like, yeah, that's like that's the last time we want to see you play football. <laughs> yeah. So uh I mean he did win a national championship. He was on the championship team in 2012. No, he wasn't. I thought he was Anthony Davis's backup. Are you sure? No. This was this class, the year after. Mm. His first year was the the Nerlands year. Uh yeah, you're right. He went Nerlands year. It's another slide on him. Yeah, and then he was part of the underwhelming Julius. Like, I understand it's not the greatest thing, but um, honorable mentions. Honorable mentions to round it out. Steve I think Adams, I just mentioned everybody. Rashid Suleiman, Glenn Robinson, Gary Harris, Yogi Farrell, Jeremy Grant, Justin Anderson, Kellen Dunham. I don't even know who that is, dog. Kellen Dunham averaged 10-plus points per game all four years at Butler. Stud. Yeah, when I think of ten points per game, I think stud. No, double figures all t- all four years. That's impressive stuff. Mm. Kellen Dunham uh, was two time All Big East, career Alex fifteen Poitras. points per game score. Shout out Alex Poitras. Poitras was not very good. He put up the same numbers that Willie Cauley Stein did. <laughs> Nine and five. All right, well, that's our ranking. That's that, our ranking. I need a shower. Yeah, I mean, that was gross. 2013 is going to be some fun. We got Andrew Wiggins. We got Joel Embiid. We have uh, – who else we got? 
Andrew Wiggins, Joel Embiid, Julius Randle, Aaron Gordon, Jabari Parker. I don't know, man. I just want to end this podcast now. <laughs> you're, you're disgusted by Willie Colley-Stein. Yeah. All right. We ended on that. I hope everyone had a happy 4th of July. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you Friday. Enjoy the finals. <laughs> Sunday or a Monday, you know that we flex. True. You can never make it more obvious. You checking for the heat, that's cold. That's cold, that's cold. Get it to the top of the top of this. You can never reach uh, these hoes. in the booth and we spin the truth. Aye. We inspire the youth and we get to the loop. You do what it does and we do what it do. We turn to the max and they got you on mute. You. Ooh, flow so high, so you know Aye. I had to run it back. Blazes apart and we running like a running back. Gabe brought chalk, so you know Aye. we having fun with that. Turn you in the off, so you know Aye. we ain't no coming back. Now we done with that. <laughs>